This is your host, DK, and this is Burn the Boats. Let's go! We take you inside the mind of those who have been influenced by the beautiful game, what the game has given them, how they're impacting the soccer community around them, and how the game of football runs the world. Good morning, everyone. This is DK. Excited to have you today. We're going to be chatting with the head men's soccer coach at Howard Payne University, Coach Brandon McGibney. DK, what's going on? Hey, Brandon. Good morning. How are you today? I'm good. How are you this morning? Thanks for jumping on with us today. I know you got a lot going on, so we're, we're really excited to have you kind of hear about what's going on in your world, in your program, and I know you kind of had a big transition. I just recently took the transition to come back to Howard Payne University, which is where I played and began coaching on the women's side. Now I am the head coach of the men's program here at Howard Payne University. Awesome. How do you feel that transition is going or, or what are you experiencing moving not only back to your alma mater, but, you know, from the women's side to the men's side? Tell us a little bit about what's going on with you. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, knowing that I had a place that I could come back to, a community that I knew very well. Spent six years here. The good thing was Cisco is actually just 45 minutes north of here. So my wife went to school here. I went to school here. And so it made it a very simple transition. And we actually bought a house here and I was commuting to Cisco. And so that's a, that was a very big bonus, uh, not having to move with the transition of a job. But also, as you mentioned, going from the women to the men's side, there was always one job that I said I would do that for. And that was this school. It was Howard Payne University. It's got to be easy sell with your wife, right? Hey, we don't even have to move. We're going back to the alumni. That's got to be good, right? As soon as we had the opportunity, she was on board. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Tell us just a real quick bit about the university. Kind of share with us a little bit about that. What I can speak on is my experience here as well, obviously. Not only the two weeks now in the office, but as well as my six years previously. So Division three. The biggest differences between Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, you know, a lot of people think it's just the scholarship levels that can be offered or, you know, for Division Three, the no athletic scholarship is that there's a much more holistic approach to the development of a student athlete. Um, and what I mean by that is we truly, truly harp on the academic portion. And so you brought up the recruiting side of it. There's so many great things happening here um, and programs that are being built with, you know, biomedical sciences for your, you know, nurses. Uh, actually, we have a full nursing program now through applied health sciences. But your biomedical sciences are your pre-physical therapy, your pre-veterinarian, pre-med. If you're wanting to be in any type of civic leadership is a great um, opportunity for people to get involved with an extra major and also being an honors academy as well. And so we've had a lot of people come out that are future lawyers or politicians um, that have gone on to, you know, to Harvard uh, for, for grad school and different things like that or law school. So the academic portion of our school is something that we definitely have to harp on, which I know can be a little bit different than some of your division one, division two schools. Sometimes it's, can we get this guy in with the GPA he has? And for us, it's, 
can we get the guy that's a truly academic biased person who also loves the game? And so you'll get all types of different uh, capabilities with that. You're going to get kids that want to, like I said, be in, in pre-med and pre-law, which is very difficult to do in a scholarship level program. And we work all around their academic schedules and make sure that they are getting in the right classes, getting in the training that's necessary to be successful in the field and move from there. Or for me in my time that I've been here has been the biggest proponent of who is successful here is the guys or ladies that come in and want to be truly excellent in both the academic and athletic portions. So when you're selling the school to a recruit, you know, and, and somebody's division, maybe division one athletic talent, but they are, Hey, I'm really interested in the next phase of my life post playing, you know, so I'm interested in doing, like you said, you know, pre-med, obviously that's going to be a slightly easier sell. What do you do with kids that are a little unsure, you know, or they have expectations of, Oh, I'm a division one player. I'm a division two player. I'm a division. So how do you work with a kid who's thinking, Oh, I am, I am at this level or that's their own expectation, or maybe somebody put that expectation for them. Right. So there's so many people out there that the title is so important to them. And uh, they see, you know, you're Indiana, you're Clemson, you're Notre Dame, whoever on the men's side. And they see the, the prowess that it brings, but they don't know the entire story of what goes on behind closed doors. And I'm not saying anything about those programs at all. But what I'm saying is there's a level of expectation that a lot of those kids don't understand as far as what's expected of them athletically and the time that they have to put in. And with a kid that wants to be pre-med, pre-law, one of those upper echelon, you know, in society type of positions or jobs, you have to put a ton of time into the academic portion of it. And at a higher level, quote unquote, with Division One, Division Two programs, because you're getting your school paid for, a lot of the expectations of coaches can be that you are putting an abundance of time into your athletic career. The best programs, I will say, uh, know how to balance that. And there's so many great programs out there. And my advice to a kid like that is just go on visits, talk to those coaches, talk to the advisors, and ultimately talk to the student athletes that are in the program at the moment that are going to be able to tell you the true story. Our job as coaches can sometimes be to, to be salespeople, but really, you know, it's what I try to do personally is to just give the facts of what we do as a program, setting you up for the rest of your life. I always say this is not a four-year decision to go to college. It's a 40-year decision because this decision can set you up for the rest of your life. You have to sell because you can't just tell a kid, or I think there's some environments where people maybe take this approach if they say like, kind of like, well, you, you know, you'd be lucky to be here because they have so many kids interested, you know, but that's not the norm for most coaches on any level. And so they have to communicate, Hey, here's what we are. Here's what we offer. Here's what we're going to do for you. And in your case, you're not just selling them like, Hey, if you come here, yes, you'll get a great education, but you're going to be starting or not starting. You're going to be super focused on the field. You know, yes, school is important, but man, this is everything. You're communicating, here's a bigger picture from the beginning of the recruiting process. I want to help you be successful. Here's a path. We are used to doing this and we are trying to put you in a position, be ready for the next stage of your life. Yeah, absolutely. 
and also, you know, talking about the recruiting, the sales portion, you know, I'm going to harp on us a little bit. And with our program, we have a roster anywhere between 28 to 32 and a, with a cap of 32. There are a lot of programs, whether it's NAIA, other Division three schools, some Division two schools, I don't quite see this in Division one that have 40-plus kids on their roster. Right. And so while there is a lot of opportunity for that, you know, what we try to do is have a more intimate roster to where we can allow those guys opportunity to get in good time and training and get the opportunity to play in games. And I think keeping that lower number, one, it gives us the number that we need for good competition in training and in games, but also the quality depth that we need in order to be successful through an entire season. You know, there's been lots of talks throughout NCAA of extending the season. I know your friend Randy Waldrum has uh, also been a huge proponent of this, is making it a, a year-round model. You know, at the at this time, you know, it, we only do our season, especially at Division Three, September 1st until you know postseason, which ends in sometime early December, I believe. But a regular season is typically just through October, early November. And so you really have only three months to get a full season in to get 18 to 20 games, which is a ton of time on your legs. You have to have the quality of depth in your roster to be able to put in, you know, enough time and training and to put enough, you know, healthy bodies on the field as much as possible. And so that's something we strive to do, but not overload our roster where no one's getting or some people are not getting opportunity. Right. Compared compared to some, like you're saying, I mean, I played collegiately. If you're in the the first 22, right, like you kind of have this expectation, hey, I will see the field at some point. You know, you have the, the preseason component of, hey, we've got three or four weeks to prep for our first game. And then the game start. Now you're going Thursday, Saturday or, you know, Friday, Sunday, you're playing games. You come back, you got a kind of a recovery day. And then you got a couple of days of practice and then you're right back at it, right? In your spot, I think you have a challenge. Personally, I feel like that's a really good balance to say, well, everybody has an opportunity to contribute. And depending on how well preseason goes, depending on injuries throughout the season, a lot of people do get opportunities to play, right? Definitely, yeah. So results vary as well. And, you know, we want to put the guys on the field that are producing as much as possible and that have the best 11 on the field. That's what every coach says. Sometimes that can change. It's not always from game one to game 20 going to be the, the same 11. Almost never is. Hopefully you have people pushing and competing and developing over the season as well that are, are vying for those starting positions. And you have some tactical changes that are needed depending on who you're playing and what time of year it is. But there's, a, there's so many factors that go in that you have to have a stable of people, as you said earlier, uh, hopefully not of 40 plus, but of, of people who are capable of stepping into their role and doing well. So one thing that pops in my head is just that as a coach, it's not always the same reasons for every game. Not every game requires the same thought processes of, okay, here are my 11, here's who we're playing, and it's the same thing rolling it out every time. Like you said, injury can play into that, but most kids think, all it is is I'm good enough or I'm not good enough. And they don't consider where am I in a four-year process? How is coach recruiting based on where he sees me or he sees our team? Who is he bringing in for what positions? How kids change? What was I doing off the field? What am I doing with my time? Am I applying myself in the classroom? 
Uh, what am I doing on the weekends? All those kind of decisions, the kids think it's just what I did in practice today. And they forget that you've probably been tracking them since they were in high school, sophomore, junior in high school. You're going through the recruiting process. They're aware of you. They're learning about you. They're talking to you. Then you get there. Okay, well now, well now who are you? Who are you now that you're not under supervision? Absolutely. And how do you behave and the choices and the friend groups? And so coaches are monitoring. They don't insert themselves in everything, but they are monitoring and trying to do the best with the current set of information, the off season of what people put in and You have a strength coach who's following along, right? So kids look at it like, oh, well, what did I do in practice on Tuesday and Wednesday? Was that good enough for me to get the start on Thursday? And yes, you can have a great week of practice. But what about all the other variables? You know, that most kids think it's A plus B equals C. And it's actually like a whole table full of all letters. And the outcome is Z. And coach had to consider A through Y, right? Before he decided X, Y, Z, okay, this is who I'm going with. I think kids don't realize that there's way more going on than just, well, you had a good session. Yeah, all right, let's throw them out there. That can be a tipping point. That could be a starting point, but it's not the only decision that a coach is making in your position, right? Yeah, I think there's intangibles that people bring to the table that you have to factor in. kind of want to go back, touch on exactly what you said of they're away from home for the first time. There's so many things that go into that. Parents aren't around. They're not around coaches during their school day. They're not, and I would, the word I'm going to say is coddled, but not everyone is, is coddled. When they get insulated, they're, you know, they're not insulated. They're not protected, right? They're not monitored every hour of every day. They're, you're monitoring as a coach from a distance, right? Or on campus, but you're not, it's not the same as a kid. Mom knows, well, he got, you know, he drove to school at eight o'clock. He should be in school till four 30 when he gets done with practice. He's back here at five for dinner. Probably I get home from work. That That's what you're saying, right? It's, it's not coddling. Exactly. It's just an awareness of everything that's going on. It's, the monitoring right. so is at a much higher level when you're a senior in high school. Absolutely. And now there's so much more freedom when they get to college, you have to be able to time manage. And that's one factor that especially freshmen have a hard time grasping for a lot of kids is that they come in, they don't know how to time manage because everything's kind of been set up before them or for them before. That's a factor because now they're waiting to do homework and they're trying to find a social life and they're trying to do well in, in training. There's so many different factors that go into the confidence, you know, the mental state of the kids once they get to the training facility. And so sometimes we have to realize who we're working with and what they're like because that's why it's important to track them through high school and clubs because you want to have an understanding of when they get there, what their, what their intangibles are. And if they're not living up to that, okay, is it the speed of play that they're you know, getting used to? Is it dorm life? Is it college life? There's so many different factors, but that's also what is great about the college game is these uh, young men are coming in and they're getting to find themselves and their personalities away from family, from home, truly find out what they're going to be like as adults. Yeah, I, it's, it's so interesting to talk to you about it because I'm just, I'm just thinking about my own college journey and it just, it makes me want to ask so many questions. We, we don't have time to go into every question that just came in my head. First semester, you know, some kids have great study habits. I think coaches like a freshman that can come in and play. I mean, they, they like their seniors and juniors and sophomores, but a freshman that can come in and impact your team, maybe you've been looking for somebody, that kid comes in, progress report time, or, you know, they're checking in with having their, their athletes check in with teachers, how am I doing, you know, then you're bringing that back to coach, or maybe you make it to the end of semester, 
you got to play a ton. You were super involved with the team. Everything went well. And then <laughs> first semester grades come out and they go, you know, you're on academic probation for the spring. Or, wow, you were obviously not in class. We noticed you weren't in class. We were waiting to see if you were going to correct that yourself or if you needed that to be corrected for you. So now here's the consequence for the spring. Spring is you're in class every day, every every class period. If you're not, you're going to let us know. We're going to be monitoring your situation every two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, whatever it is. We're going to get reports. And all of a sudden now you have moved from I'm a freshman who's contributing. I have a lot of high trust on the field. Now they've allowed you to explore yourself off the field. Now you're showing where you are emotionally, mentally, academically, right? And now we have to treat you differently. You know, it's and it's not because we want to. We don't want to track you. But that's the difference with sometimes freshmen and sophomore players who look, well, why do the seniors play? He's not as good as me. Or they, you know, why is the junior, you know, I'm, I'm just as good as him on the ball, but why am I not playing? Well, some of that is for a coach is not having to, monitor that kid and and having gone through those pain points before that freshman got there. He doesn't realize that that guy was a second semester freshman who was struggling with academics, had to get the correction and then picked it back up. And by the time they were junior, well, of course they're playing all the time. I don't have to worry about what they're doing and I'm developing an overall person because that's what I promised their parents. I told them we would get them the future, right? The pre-med, we will successfully do that. The parent is expecting that from the coach. The coach is expecting that from the, the player because we have this triangle relationship, right, of family, coach, and player. And then, yes, the team is also important, right? Is that is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. And I've heard it more from the, the male side now than I did ever from the female side. But, you know, from your time in college too, what did they want to do after they were done playing in college? What was their expectation? Once they're done in college, what were they going to do? Oh, I mean, I'm going to be playing pro. I'm going to be coaching. I'm going to so I'm gonna walk out the door and somebody's going to be like, wow, you played four years at such and such school. And hopefully I'm a professional yeah. soccer player. Exactly. I saw something the other day. I think it was some somewhere of 2% of yes. uh, athletes. Yes. Make, uh, NCAA make it to the professional level. The, the amount of guys that leave and make the MLS draft. Exactly. And so that's what we strive to do is make the experience more holistic because of that, that uh, statistic right there. There's not going to be many guys that come out of NCAA at any level and make the professional leagues in the U.S. or overseas. Yes, we want to strive and, and be the best that we can be, absolutely. And I completely adore that mentality and I expect that mentality. But we also have to harp on, like I said earlier, the academic side because the other 98% have to have something that they can do for the rest of their life. And even that 2% has to have something that they do once they're done playing for the rest of their life. But a lot of times with the guys, they don't realize where you're taking them, even though they already admitted and said it's where they want to go. Hey, I want to come to school. I want to be, you know, in this specific field. I picked a, a major and maybe it changes, but, you know, I, I have a goal. I want a job. I want to support myself. I want to have a family and, and uh, you know, eventually I want uh, live the all-American dream, whatever that is to someone. And they're agreeing to that. And then they show up on campus and then they're, they can be frustrated or bothered. And it, I mean, it happened to me. It happened to a lot of my teammates that you as the coach are now holding them to that rather than how do I push you to be a professional athlete? And it's not that someone can't be the professional athlete. It's just that what you told them could happen for them. You're guiding them down that path because they said, well, that's what I want. 
So you're, you're in alignment, but then something happens and they go, well, I know I said I wanted to do all that, but really what I want to do is be a pro. Okay, well, that's great. And we hope you get there. But the reality is, is I have to account for everyone on the team and these bigger aspirations as a university, as a group of people, as a, as, as young men, that you're developing men and characters for life. You're not just saying, well, how do I make you the best soccer player so you can end up at the highest level? Exactly. You know, I, I'm hearing you talk about basically substance of character, you know, developing young men, developing leaders. We're talking a little bit about soccer, but we're really talking about how do you help people become the people that they're going to be for their lives? How do, where do those values come from? How did you get those values? What what influenced you maybe on the field that turned into where you're coaching now, et cetera? Take us through your journey of how you 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 have the set of values you have now for what you're, what you're trying to accomplish with your team. Rolled things down to four words. And those are my values, respect, competition, service, and curious, respect each other, respect our opponents. We want to respect the officials, respect our elders, respect our, our teachers. You know, we want to have respect not only for those that we come in contact with, but those that we're going to come to, you know, be involved with at any point. And that can go into the way that you carry yourself on the field and off. Every single game, it does not matter where we are within the, the year, whether we've lost every game or won every game. We want to come out uh, and play a, game, a team that, you know, could have won every game or lost every game. But we want to come out and play like ourselves every single game, no matter who the opponent is. We want to have competition with everything we do. And the way that I say this best is, I don't care if this is a paper, rock, scissors game or a 90-minute game. We're Buffalo Wild Wings and we want to compete in the Wild Wing Challenge or something like that, right? We just want to have people that want to compete and want to win at all times. Um, and with that, we need people that are going to compete and be gracious when they win and gracious when they lose. Uh, we want to have service within our program. And what I mean by that is we want to serve one another. We want to serve others. That falls into working hard for each other towards the common goal. And it's also to serve our community and make sure that uh, we're giving back to the people that are giving to us. And then lastly, being curious. And so this one kind of came around with Ted Lasso coming out, being curious of who other people are, of how can I be a better player, a better teammate, asking questions, finding new ways to solve challenges in our lives. Especially in college, the locker room is a melting pot of people and personalities from all different areas. And even we have some guys that are from an international realm within our roster. And because of that, there's so many different values that people were raised with that you may see someone and be like, why does he do things that way? Well, let's be curious and find out. I'm a very big relational person. So I love building relationships with teammates and colleagues in order to you know, find out again, what makes them tick, what, how can we get the best out of each other day in and day out and to be able to meet players where they are. Maybe they failed a big test and they're coming into training with that on their heart and you can just sense that something's off. How'd that test go today? I know you've been studying for the last couple of weeks for it and they let you know, Hey, I just didn't do well. Let's make today the best day of your, tra like for training. Not every day is going to be great. Not every day is going to be bad. How can we meet players where they are in order to get the most out of them for that day? I love having clarity in what those values are and what that brings on the front end, communicating that to your team, what that 
brings into the culture, into the locker room. Uh, I also yeah. love the idea of, as you said, respect and competition. I could picture the whole squad at Buffalo Wild Wings hitting the ghost peppers. <laughs> Good YouTube, YouTube videos. Video. I mean, right? I mean, you just let's respect each other as we do it. High competition. And let's all be curious with our phones and monitor this situation and put all this on YouTube for the world to see. I have to get with, with our Buffalo Wild Wings managers here in, in right? Brownwood and Right. Shout out to (laughs) Buffalo Wild Wings in Brownwood. You can play this soundbite. We want a sponsored or non-sponsored wing eating contest well before any games during preseason for bonding purposes. But we do not want to do this the day before a game. And this is something we haven't talked about. You know, I actually played for you in club. I got to kind of get a little bit of insight with you as in the soccer world uh, outside of just being a fan of the game and wanting to expand it further. But uh, this is something that has resonated with me for a long time. And you and I have talked about this in the past is, you know, going into my senior year, I was just told by you that I wasn't good enough at the moment to be on the team that we were trying to be. A starting goalkeeper the year before didn't have a great end of the year. Um, and I had a lot of development that needed to happen. And it wasn't until someone that I knew cared about me told me, hey, you're just not being good enough and uh, we're going to have to go a different direction until you can find a way to get things better. And so what I learned from that is having a coach that truly cares enough to tell you what you need to work on and when when that needs to happen for you to be better, that can shape you much further than just those that season. Um, And I've taken that into my coaching and it's difficult at times because these guys are putting so much into it, you know, reflection on that is that you saw that I could be something better through that experience. I've been able to use that in coaching to tell kids the hard conversations. I want to thank you for that, but also tell you that that is something that I think is truly imperative to the development of young men and women to tell them through hard times, give them adversity in their life because that's how life is. You're going to have adversity. You're going to have to overcome some things. I think it speaks to your character that you adjusted, didn't let it defeat you, and then put in the time to make changes and make it happen. That, that to me, says a lot more about you than me. I mean, yes, it, I'm glad that you felt loved in that process. That I, I still think, looking back, I mean, I, as a younger coach, you probably don't have the, the tact to say things in a loving way all the time. I think if you're an athlete and you've been around coaches, you know when somebody's pushing your buttons, you know when someone's that you have no relationship and they're, you know, saying whatever they can say to get you out of the way. And then there's other times when you know this person values me, sees something in me and wants to challenge me. Sometimes people accept that challenge and sometimes people don't. So I think it's a credit to you for accepting that in a in a way that was I'm sure emotional, painful, hard, but also adapting and saying, okay, well, what am I going to do? Am I just going to sit here and let it negatively impact me or is it going to positively shape? I appreciate you saying that. These young men are going through a lot. They're going to face adversity and we need to see the people that are going to respond positively to the adversity that they are receiving. And that ultimately is what makes the best players in a program is the ones that have received some adversity in their life and have moved into a more positive direction because of it. Yeah, and positive doesn't necessarily mean just putting a smile on your face and saying, like, I'm just going to smile through it and I'll, you know, I'll find the goodness in it later. 
you know, it is, it yeah. is truly going, okay, this is how am I going to positively let this shape me in my character in how I apply myself in more than just one area. Oftentimes those conversations happen and you don't just, if you're responding, you don't just step up on the field. I think you step up off the field. There, there's something more to it than just, well, all I've got to do is just train harder. You can say it as well. Like it didn't happen just in the span of a few days or a few weeks that, you know, I got the starting job back. <laughs> right. It was over the course of months of putting in extra training sessions and changing mentalities, consistently showing up and doing the, the right things each day. And what were you looking at to shape kind of the direction you were, you were going to go in the coaching realm? I played for uh, Liverpool FC America. Like our area was not a huge world football culture. Um, it's gotten much better. Okay, for where we were located, talking world football, it was it was a completely different convo. Now you can go to a watch party, have a conversation with someone, and be like, "Oh, cool, we're on the same page," or "Oh, cool, this is y- you follow." Back then, it was like you were talking, and and the the rebuttals and the conversation back, it was like two statements deep, and then you go, "All right." I think we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Playing with the Liverpool crest, I started to follow Liverpool. Jurgen Klopp took over. Obviously, he's done great things with, with Liverpool, uh, and it's still my team. I've got you know the pennant and the Anfield flag hanging up here in my office. Through his time, even before at Leipzig and at, at Dortmund, you could see he knows what he needs to do to get the most out of his players. He's truly the term a player's coach. He's someone that truly cares about them, truly is invested in their lives outside of the game. Someone that I've looked up to, not only as you know the leader of the club that I enjoy, but as a, as a true professional in the way that I want to lead my program. I've enjoyed watching Mike Noonan, who's at uh, Clemson, uh, and another person that I've truly grown to respect for the coaching style that I enjoy is Becky Burley the co-founder of a, a company called What Drives Winning. You know, she's someone I definitely resonate with in my coaching. Those are fantastic people to be able to look to and, and get insight from. I know you also are a big proponent of, of going to coaches' conventions, continuing education with your development as a coach. You know, how do those clinics and conventions and events shape you? Who has impressed you when you go to those? Yeah, that's actually how I got in contact with uh, with Becky and her other co-founder, Brett Ledbetter. I highly suggest looking it up. Molly Grisham has been great for that. Person that is great with team building. Finding different ways to build your atmosphere for competitive and loving environment. Um, another person that, again, this is more psychology, really more than tacticians or technical work it's all psychology for me right now uh in my development and that person is donna fisher um she's another person that i love going to her sessions because there's always something that i can take away from that that's going to help us be able to relate or dive deeper in building connections with our players well, that's such a, I love that list because it covers so many different angles. You know, it's not just tactics. It's not just technical, the psychology, what drives people, what makes them tick. That's such a, a great list. And, you know, if you're a young coach and you're hungry and you're looking for more knowledge, it's out there. And for those who are experienced, you know, we experienced coaches can 
get stuck on, well, this is how I've always done it. And the evolution of the game and psychology and what we know about people now is changing and people are changing. Youth are changing. And so keeping current with what's impacting players as a whole, as the overall player, even as we were talking about in a previous episode, what is driving the development more than just how they see X's and O's or how they see what I can do with the ball and how impactful that is. Well, Brandon, let's do a little, let's do a little quick fire to wrap up here. I'm ready. All right. Let's, let's see, let's see what you come up with here. Who wins the Premier League this year? No, no hedging your bets here, Brandon. This is a, this is, you got to make a statement so we can hold you to it later and either praise you or make fun of you for it. So who, who wins? The winner of today's game between Man City and Arsenal wins the Premier League. Current, retired, not even alive. Who who's taking your free kick to win you the game in the ninetieth? At the moment, I'm going to say Messi. Favorite Ted Lasso quote: "Be curious, not judgmental." Do goalkeepers make the best coaches? That's a tough one. Come on, Brandon, uh, you're, you're a goalkeeper. You got to say yes. I'm going to say yes because I know so many goalkeepers that are coaches <laughs> and good ones at that. So grateful that you took time to chat with us today and bring us into kind of the life of a division three coach hearing your process and how you communicate with now young men and what you're trying to do for them in, in the big picture. And so just thank you. Looking forward to seeing, seeing you run around with your little one on the field someday. Absolutely. And hopefully we can uh, get our, our kids on a super team at some point. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Well, Brandon, thanks so much. And we're looking forward to having you back again anytime. Yeah, I want to say thank you to you for um, inviting me on and uh, giving me the call. But also just, you know, we talked a little bit about it earlier, but thank you for what you've done. And in my development, it's been something that stuck with me through that entirety of, uh, of my career through college and now as a coach. And so I want to thank you for that and also for just continuing to push the game forward. I mean, the world needs it. And we need it here in Texas and the entirety of the U.S. No, that's amazing. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Today, head coach Brandy McGibney was able to bring us into the discussion about what it's like in a Division Three collegiate soccer program. We were able to hear how clearly defining who you want to be as a program is essential to success. In this case, respect, competition, service, and curiosity. Next, we talked about how players who respond and grow from adversity are going to be most beneficial to your program. And finally, you can learn just as much from Jurgen Klopp as Ted Lasso. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm your host, DK. We look forward to having you join us next time on Burn the Boats. Burn the Boats.